Antioch Conversations Week 2. Welcome, Antioch Church. How's everyone doing this morning? You guys doing well? Dominic, man, you doing okay? You have like that furrowed brow thing going on that I usually get when I'm thinking. I'm like intensely in thought and everybody thinks I hate them. Are you, you're, you're good this morning? Awesome, bro, man. Good to see you. Hey, listen, before we jump into this, I want to say for all of you who are joining us today for the first time, we are so delighted that you're here with us. I want to reiterate what, uh, what Bernard shared this morning. Welcome to Antioch Church. My name is Jay Duncan. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we know that there are some amazing churches here in our city, and uh, we believe that you're not here by accident today. So thanks for joining us. You're actually joining us on the second week of what we're calling Antioch Conversations. Once a year, we take an entire month and we talk about things explicitly concerning Antioch Church, where we've been, where we're at, where we're going, and we're wrapping all these conversations this year uh, under the banner or the concept of reflection. So we're going to get into that here in a couple of minutes, but before we get into that, I have a special announcement that I want to make, one that you've heard many, many weeks now leading up to today, but I'm giving it today because today is the last day to sign up for our men's retreat. Now, before you, before, yeah, that's, bro, come on, man. Come on, man. I'm taking you out. Seriously, let's go, let's go grab a pizza and man food or something. (laughs) Greasy, heavy, meaty food. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Before you tune me out, before you check out here, I've got literally eight reasons why you should come to our men's retreat this year. Eight reasons. I had to cut. I had to cut it short, or else I take the entire time. All right. So, how many guys? If we had a drum roll, this would be perfect right now. But um, here's here's eight reasons. All right. Uh, maybe I should start with the with the like simple ones first before I get all heavy. Uh, number one, man, the outdoors are beautiful. It, you got to get outside from time to time because the outdoors are are absolutely beautiful. Number two. Some of you guys, you, you, this, this will actually help jumpstart your new workout routine. Yeah, when you get out there, man, and you're being schooled by those young guys, listen, this, every year this happens to me. I get out there, I try to play basketball, I try to play football, volleyball, and I get utterly embarrassed, and then I get this renewed inspiration it is inspiration driven by a little bit of animosity that says, I, I, I will, I will work out again, and this will not happen next year. Inevitably, I always find myself in the same place each year where, uh, I, yeah, but anyways, it is great. It is a great jump start to your motivation. All right, hey, number three, guys, there have been people praying for you specifically for this men's retreat for months. For months, we uh, there, there's a, there's a handful of faithful, committed men: Jeff Ward, Mike Rice, Tori Ebel, Chris Lockett, Sadron. Uh, if I forgot your name, please please don't Everett Ford. Please don't be upset at me. There's there's a handful of other guys that get together faithfully on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. and we have had the men's retreat on our docket for months. We are believing for an encounter, a powerful, powerful encounter of the Lord with you. Which leads me to my next point. God will meet you this weekend. 
We are believing that there's gonna be some powerful ministry that is released to you. But listen, it's also gonna be released through you. We need you there because there's someone we believe that you're gonna touch, you're gonna minister to, you're gonna give a word to that only you can give. And even your presence being there is ministry to someone. All right, number five. Uh, In the spirit of reflection, we're gonna be reflecting on the five roles or the five faces uh, of a man. Every single one of us as men carry very special roles in the earth. We're sons, we're brothers, we're husbands, we're fathers, and we're all called to be elders in the gates of our city. And we're gonna talk about each of those. And hopefully it'll be a time to reflect, God, where am I? What are you doing in my life to form me into that kind of man? I don't know what number I'm on anymore. I think it's number six. But there's gonna be some awesome, awesome connection that goes on. And uh, like these guys have so adequately said weeks before, guys, if you're new here particularly, there, there, there is so much that can happen in a 30-hour period of time that really just cannot happen after weeks and weeks and weeks of being here, even on a Sunday gathering. Um, the, the, whole, the whole concept of getting out of our normal life routine and, uh, and hanging out and, and connecting over meals, connecting late in the night, connecting over hikes, fishing, uh, what have you. Uh, it goes so far in strengthening that relational fabric, all right? Um, number eight, for you guys who have sons, let me just tell you, I have been taking my son Kenya uh, since we have started our men's retreat, which we started this three years ago. And out of everybody in this room, including Mike and Jeff, no one is as, ex- is as excited about men's retreat as my son, Kenya. It, I mean, I'm telling you, I read a book three years ago that actually encouraged me and inspired me. I'm going to take my son. And in this particular book, it was a book on manhood and, and, and the importance of surrounding our sons with other men of God that they can look up to. So I said, okay, my son is six right now, a little young, but I'm gonna do this. And uh, man, I, I, I rolled the dice, I took some risk. Was he engaged in every session? Absolutely not. He didn't understand a thing that was going on, but the intangibles of sitting in a room of 50 guys worshiping, praying, taking the table of the Lord, engaging in heartfelt, sincere conversation, the camaraderie, the, uh, the frisbee golf, the, uh, the paintball you know, wars or whatever that he and my uncle did or his uncle did. He remembers those things more than anything else throughout the year and he looks forward to it. And if my son were not able to go to this retreat, he would be heartbroken. There is something in his manhood that's being formed in him at an early age. And guys, I wanna encourage you, consider this. All right, here's another reason. There's financial help. So if you're sitting back going, man, I'd love to do that, but man, I'm just... We just can't do this right now. I want you to know that we have set up a scholarship program whereby every person who has signed up has an option of uh, submitting or donating extra funds to help guys who wanna come, but at this season cannot. And guys, we want you to take advantage of that. So if you are interested, and right now is not the best time for you financially, please don't let something as small as money keep you from all these other great benefits. All right, there is a table in the back. Everett, could you just raise your hand for me, sir? Everett Ford uh, is standing right next to this table where we can help you register, which I could probably put that down as number nine, your ninth reason to 
consider going on our men's retreat. And after service, any of you guys who have not signed up, man, please consider going with us next weekend. Final note, we actually, for all of you guys who have registered, the camp is asking us for each and every one of you to actually fill out a liability waiver that is specific to the camp. So that I believe that has been sent out to you guys. If you've not received that, please see Jeff at the end of service and he'll direct you on how to fill out that, that liability form. All right, so man, we would love to spend next weekend with you at our men's retreat. Jeff, you missed an amazing eight-part message on why guys should come to the men's retreat. And, uh, you know, we, we razz on Jeff probably the entire weekend. He razzes on us all year long. This weekend, we razz on him. So, you it's know, you, come, man. come to the retreat. Okay, Jonathan, why don't you kick us off and, and, and kind of give us an idea of what we're gonna be doing in the next 20 minutes to 25 minutes together. Okay, so... Some of you have submitted questions via the website or the app for us, and we spent some time this week reading, thinking, praying, and studying answers to some of these questions, but I have to admit that the first question has in a way answered itself this morning, kind of. Uh, so with that said, let's jump in. Oh, let me give a disclaimer as well. The answers that we are providing, some, some of you may not consider them actual answers. <laughs> so um, we're gonna do our best, and some of these things are our conversations. Uh, one of the questions is a multi-part question, and so these are conversations that we can continue to have from here on out. So what is gonna happen here in the next few minutes is not designed to necessarily completely answer all questions in your mind around that subject. Um, it may even provoke some questions that you didn't know you had around that subject. So we're going to do our best. Y'all with me? All right. So question number one, which gifts of the Holy Spirit are welcome in our weekend services and which ones are not welcome? One more time. One more time. Which gifts of the Holy Spirit are welcome in our services and which ones are not welcome? Okay, so um, I'm going to jump in on this first one, and I think the, the short answer would be all and none, meaning which gifts are welcome, all. Uh, one of the things Antioch Church can definitively say about our body and our identity is that we believe in the gifts, the full expression of the gifts of the Spirit. So... Any of the gifts of the Spirit that we read in Scripture, we believe that those are in operation today. They haven't stopped. They didn't die. They didn't leave uh, because of a new era. But they are in operation for a distinct purpose today. So we believe that. So that means the second part of the question, which are not welcome, is a moot issue because they are all welcome. We want them all. Amen? Amen. So... Um, I think a question like this and the answer that I just gave, it begs further investigation and it begs more questions. Uh, questions like, well, does that mean every time that we gather, we see every single expression of the gift? I mean, I think that is a question that comes up. Um, and, and, and there's a whole host of others and, and based on each and every one of us, uh, our experiences up to this point, we all probably have different questions about the gifts and what they look like in a body or in a service. Um, I can't, and I don't think we can 
speak to all of those, but uh, I'll just jumpstart by saying one thing. If we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is kind of the quintessential passage on uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth about specifically the gifts of the Spirit in operation in a gathering such as this one. So I'm just going to pick up here in verse 7. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. Uh, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discernment of spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are activated by the one and the same spirit if i were to begin a discussion on the gifts of the spirit i think i would start with this observation that paul's validation of the gifts of the spirit in our church gatherings is a tacit validation meaning that's not why he's writing what he's writing here is actually about the unity of the body in light of the gifts that are valid for the church. So um, I, I think the more important question when we come to gifts of the Spirit, whether or not we believe in them or not, is this issue of unity. And in order for, the, for us to really speak about unity, I think Paul does a su superb job of saying we're one body, that the Spirit has given all gifts and as such, I can say for Antioch Church that the gifts of the Spirit, when we, we are not going to see here every single expression of every single gift every single time we get together. And here's why. Because every time we gather together, we all and each and every one of us have gifts of the Spirit in us that work through us. But I would say we submit all things to the giver of those gifts. And we say, God, as we gather together as a body, we are submitting our gifts to you because we want you to accomplish your will, not ours. So I think that's where I'd start this conversation. Yeah, the only thing I would like to add, because I think Dan did a wonderful job of, of highlighting the context of the passage, is that I think oftentimes, at least when I was raised, the way that I thought about the gifts was that the more operative the gifts were, the more mature the person or the people were. And I think what we see definitively in this context, if you read from chapter 11 all the way through to chapter 14, he kind of keeps coming back to it and hitting it from different angles, propriety and worship, the gift of tongues. Oh yeah, the love chapter right there in the middle, right? I think what we see throughout that whole passage is that what Paul is saying is these things are wonderful things and they are gifts of the Holy Spirit who is one in the Trinity. So they're gifts of God to the body. But the way that you use the gifts says more about your spiritual maturity than the gift being in operation itself. So, Pastor. This, this is why I like hanging around these guys. You guys make me look good. So good. Um, obviously, there's a lot that we could unpack here biblically. Uh, I would actually encourage for the author of this question to take a listen or maybe a review of the series that we just did uh, a few months ago 
and it's, it's on the Holy Spirit. So we had a four-part series. The, our June series was on the Holy Spirit. And, and we actually had an entire message around the idea of the unity of the gifts and, and the spirit and the motivation and the intention that drives our submitting our gifts to the greater whole. I think that would be a very helpful resource. Um, a couple of practical thoughts, and then I want to share my heart on the matter. Um, I'm wrestling with context and gathering. I think we have to understand that uh, Paul was writing to a lot of house churches, which contextually were able to facilitate a multiplicity of gifts in a greater, in a greater manner. Uh, this is actually one of the benefits of meeting together in smaller gatherings, whether that be in a life group setting, whether that be with a handful of men at a men's prayer, women's events, what have you, uh, marketplace gatherings. Uh, the smaller the gathering, the more viability there will be for multiple gifts to be in operation. And so if we are expecting the full spectrum of gifts to be in operation in this gathering, uh, we might be disappointed uh, only because there, there are other targets on the wall that need to be held in tension. There, there, are, there are a number of things that are happening and, and perhaps it would be good for us at some time down the road when we, when we really pull apart what is happening on a Sunday morning service and, and how do each of these things work together as Jonathan shared this morning as he opened up our time of worship to form us and to shape us into and after the image of Jesus. And, and we have to hold all of these things, not only in submission, not only in tension, but also selflessly. I mean, th there have been services that we've gathered together that have gone almost till 1 p.m. And, and I love those services. And most of us in this room, we love those services. And we experience uh, some real powerful manifestation and demonstration of what the Spirit of God is up to. However, there are some people that are also functioning in their gifts upstairs, and they don't love those services as much, especially when we have 17 toddlers in one room. So those are things that, as part, as part of belonging to a people, and again, we have to remember that that is the context in which Paul is writing. He's not writing so much to say, We're gonna, we need to champion gifts, the, the church at Corinth, they were all about the gifts. He was actually writing to say, hey, you need to dial down your gift to actually think about your brother and your sister more than you're thinking about your gift. And that's, I think, you know, and that, that speaks to the maturity thing that Jonathan is, is after right here. Uh, the second point I want to bring up is the issue of protocol. Um, Wherever we fall on our spectrum of orderliness and government in service, we may agree emphatically or we may disagree emphatically with what I'm about to say. But anytime you gather a large number of people together, whatever the context is, spiritual gathering, religious gathering, civic gathering, there must be processes and protocols that help to establish some form of order. Otherwise, uh, if we have a gathering here and everyone just kind of does what they see right in their own eyes, we probably won't have that gathering very long because, because really it, it's not going to move us towards producing anything fruitful and it's not going to move us in a common direction. So what we hold in tandem is we hold in tandem 
this, this spontaneity, this following of the spirit, this empowering of every individual, and we hold that intention with uh, process and protocols that help us to, to have a loose order that moves us forward. Now, I understand order can actually be code word for control. And we try to stay as far away from that as possible, which leads me into my next point. Here's, here's my heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak to my heart in this. Guys, I love Holy Spirit. I want you to know you have a pastor who loves the Holy Spirit and not just kind of a, a token nod and a wink like, you know, yeah, that third guy, the forgotten God. No, no, guys, listen, sometimes I feel like, Paul, I pray in the Holy Ghost more than all of you. Now, I love the Holy Spirit and I want, here's my heart, I want the fullness of whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to do in this house, far be it from me ever to be a roadblock to what the Holy Spirit wants to build and wants to, wants to release and wants to empower and nurture all of us in. And I am humbly and I am faithfully pursuing how the Holy Spirit can be at work. And every Sunday, my prayer is, Lord, I submit my plans to you and we are following what it is that we perceive and what we discern that it is that you are doing in this house and in this people. So that's my heart. So hopefully for those of you who are new and, and, and it takes a while for you to say, I'm going to trust this guy's heart. Uh, I understand that. That is a very real thing. There are, there are a core of people here that I think do know that about me. They've seen it for seven years or 13 years, depending on how long you've known me. And you know that at the end of the day, Jay Duncan is going to say, Lord, if, if I really perceive through your word, through counsel, through discerning of your spirit within me that this is something that you're gonna do, we are going to do it. And, and, and that is the position of, of Antioch. All right. Well, <laughs> that was our first question. We have another question. Um, this question here is quite a bit longer so the first part of the question is setting you up for the question, of which there are three or four. So I'm going to pause between, give a little commentary, and then finish it out, if that's cool. There have been many prophecies about a great revival coming to our nation and possibly starting this fall or winter. If something like this started to happen in mass in our country where signs and miracles and healings, wonders, etc. began to happen regularly on a level that has never happened before, what will our church specifically do in response to something like this? Will we continue with service or plans as usual? Or would we adjust our plans depending on what God is doing at the time? And if so, how? Let me pause here. There's a couple of more questions after that. Um, but some commentary and some response to the, this question. Kind of like Pastor Dan said at the beginning, the short answer is yes. Uh, we would both go after what God is doing and we would continue having services as usual. And um, I think a couple of things we have to keep in mind are, one, is that prophecies are given and it is our body, or our job as the body of Christ to discern. And our body, our job is to discern if this is, for one, accurate, two, who is this actually for, and three, what is the timing on this? What do we sense about this? And obviously, we're not going to jump into 
a bunch of prophecies right now and take a vote and go, go there. But w- what is important is that prophecy is designed, as we just talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, to build up the body and to strengthen the body. So discerning prophecy is a body effort. It's not a one or a two-man job. With that said, I'd like to hone in on on one of these questions. What will our church specifically do in response to something like this? Will we continue with services and plans as usual? So I would say what I think that our church would do is we would continue to gather. We would continue to worship God. We would continue to welcome believers and non-believers. We would continue to do personal ministry. We would continue to sing, continue to disciple by the teaching of the word. We would continue personal ministry like we had this morning. We would continue corporate prayer like we had last week in our service. And we would continue coming to the table to keep us fixed on Jesus Christ. And I think there it might be possible for us to get into a way of thinking that says that what we are doing here is a is a placeholder. It's a thing that we do in the meantime. And I would like to submit to you that I think what we're doing here this morning is probably more important than any of us understand or any of us realize that 90% and, and 90% of all statistics are made up on the spot, by the way. So... 90% of what God is doing is beneath the surface, and you and I are clueless about it in the moment that it's happening. I really believe that, that God is tying things together and working and speaking and healing, and we're just unaware. But part of showing up and being faithful to the body of Christ means that you are a part of that process and you are having an influence in ways that you know not of. So I think that's a good starter to answer this question. So the answer is yes, we would respond and yes, we would continue doing services as usual. This is this is a hard question. This was a difficult question for me personally, if only because when I revival has so many different understandings. I mean, people. What do people mean when they say revival? Um, I think each and every single person can come to the table, and if we were to ask them, "What does revival mean to you?" There would be a great majority that overlap, but there would be with equal variety different definitions of what revival is. And that's important because if I know what revival is, then I can speak to how it changes our gathering, if at all. Um, Since I don't know what everybody's thinking, nor could I speak to that, you know, I'm not going to (laughs) try. I'm not going to try. But what I can say is that revival and church, I don't think, are meant to be at odds with one another. I don't think when we see the outpouring of the Spirit that it has to, that it essentially means transformation of the way the church is operating. Can it? Yes. Should it? In some ways, absolutely. But does it mean always and comprehensively, exhaustively? I don't think so. And here's why. Because if we look in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives a very um, specific command uh, to his, his people. He just says, uh, and we, and a lot of us know this, it, you know, in verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
And then it goes on to say, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What I hear in that is both an outpouring of God's spirit, revival, but I also hear some purpose of the church. And when I say the church, I mean the gathering of us together as the people of God. And what I hear is discipleship, formation, growth. Those are all things that take place on these Sunday mornings. And, if, and, and so I can say that if we hear if and when, because I believe in revival um, and we desire revival in this city and in this nation, but that does not mean that the call to disciple and to grow that formation, the formation that takes place in this setting goes anywhere. Does that make sense? We must disciple one another. We must continue that journey. Uh, and then the last thing I think I would say is, um, the a, a clear picture to me of revival in scripture is Acts chapter two. You see the first outpouring of God's spirit. You see them speaking in tongues. You see them, you know, presenting the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and some 3,000 people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, there is a very distinct and a very clear result and I'm just gonna read those results. Verse 46 in chapter two, day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of the people. Let me jump up to verse 42. And it says, 41, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And if, if God's, Revival breaks out in Colorado Springs or in this body. I just, I just from this think the results should manifest in the same way. That when we see God's pouring of his spirit, we will see greater fellowship. We, we, we will see gathering together, believing in one another, relying on one another. We will see greater giving, even financially. They sold all their possessions for one another's needs. This, this type of generosity will begin to increase in the body. I think uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? Well, what did Jesus teach us? And it goes back to Matthew chapter 28. Disciple them in everything that I've taught you. So those are some thoughts. <laughs> I have several thoughts around this, but I'm actually going to just bullet point a couple because I, with the amount of time that we have left, would like to get to um, the next question. Uh, the first is, I think it's important for, for all of us to know that revival history and revival passion and pursuit has, has been something that has been formative for me individually for most of my Christian life whether it be uh, reading historical accounts of revival. Um, I remember a book by Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries, a book by Evan Roberts, World of Flame, uh, so many of the Ian Bounds books. I mean, revival and revival pursuit and the unique things that revival brings, as I understand revival and as I define revival, um, have been so formative in who I am as a man and as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And, um, and I emphatically, emphatically have a, have a heart and desire to see that. What has been built into me of recent is actually now seeing 
the invaluable role that the slow, patient ferment of a people actually have in that equation. And I don't think I had that in my younger years. Uh, in my younger years, I was much more driven towards what is visible, what is demonstrative, what is what I would even call spectacular, sensational. I'm not saying those things disparagingly. I'm saying those things very positively. Um, the supernatural, these are all things that um, were preeminent in my pursuit. They were the most important things to me. They, they are not least important. They are just now counterbalanced with other things concerning the life of a people that I'm understanding are equally as important. And as I've gone through the scriptures, I mean, Jesus in Matthew 13 talks about the kingdom being like a mustard seed. He talks about uh, the slow growth of the work of the spirit. And, and I think if, if we're not careful, and I'd like to unpack this in the future, if we're not careful, we'll say only those things, this is how this logic will follow, only those things that are very visible, or very spectacular, or very what we would consider supernatural, only those things are valuable. And the slow, redemptive work, the hidden, invisible work, uh, the less glorious work of love, loving our neighbor, the, the less glorious work of faithfulness uh, in every field, uh, faithful presence, what we'll do is we'll pit those things against each other. And like Dan said, and I emphatically agree with this, those things are never meant to contradict or to conflict or be in competition one with another. In fact, I, I believe that the foundation foundation of the invisible actually helps us to be more faithful and more trustworthy with the visible. Uh, let's, let's keep in mind contextually that Jesus invested three and a half very intense, rigorous years of training 12 guys night and day so that their character could be shaped, so that their character could be cut in such a manner that they could handle what was about to happen in Acts chapter 2. So, um, that's all I want to say on that. Um, here, here's what's clear. Here's what's clear. What is clear in Acts chapter 6 is this. Guys, revival will require more of every single one of us. It will require more giving. It will require more work. It will require more time. It will require those of us who are sitting on the bench now to get their hands dirty. It will require people who have never set up it. If, if Acts 6 is any of a template for us, it'll mean that those of us who are not serving must serve. I mean, that's what's clear. And so I think that we should, we should definitely pray for revival. We should expect it. We should hope for it because of the things that only that can do. And in the meantime, we should be faithful to the slow, patient work and faithful to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Along the same completely different lines, our last question is, what about a building? Which one of you guys sent that in? Okay, I've got, I've got five minutes, guys, to, to talk about this. Um, and because, okay, here, let's do this. Um, how do I condense this? Let me just talk historically. So I've been a part of this community of believers now for 13 years. And prior to us coming here to CSCS, which we moved here in April of, 2000, of April of 2010. Prior to that, we were in Pulpit Rock on Saturday nights for about eight months. 
And prior to that, we had our own building that we were leasing on the quarter of Academy in Austin Bluffs, and we were in that building for about eight years. So um, I've answered this question multiple times in multiple guest luncheons and in various settings. Let me start, number one, by saying we do desire to be in a static building for so many reasons. We feel like being in a static building uh, will help with volunteer recruitment and retention. We think that being in a static building will help with just visibility. Uh, We think that being in a static building will help with just establishing a root system in a place in our city where we can be a faithful presence. We believe that having a static location, a static facility will help us to facilitate training, outreaches, evangelism, uh, special conferences, seminars, gatherings. There, There are so many wonderful things that come with having a building. And to not get ahead of myself, I also wanna say this disclaimer that's, that I hold in tension with this. Having a building is also not our savior. It's, it's not an answer. In other words, if we're weak on evangelism now, having a building will not miraculously turn all of us into soul winners. If we're not inviting people to our church in CSCS, we're not gonna just be fired up to invite people to our church wherever it is that we go, and, and so on and so forth. We can just carry that line of thinking out further. And, and please, don't take that as pastors condemning us for not inviting more people. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I know me. I know what happens in me because I'm a visionary, because I'm an optimist and I see the possibility and the opportunity in things. And I immediately go, well, if we get in this particular building, well, then, man, we're gonna triple and people People are going to be brought into the kingdom. And so I, I, have to, I have to govern my own heart and say, well, what, what, what are you doing now? And what are you not doing now? Because whatever that is, you are carrying you, Jay Duncan, with you into your next environment and into your next context. Uh, that's a little, I'm getting a little philosophical on that. Um, our philosophy as it relates into a building is we do not want to put ourselves into a place where a financial load causes us to compromise the integrity of our philosophy of ministry. Um, And what I mean by that is, and I've seen this, I've seen this in research, I've seen this from friends, I've seen this in, in many contexts. We wanna make sure that our motives are true and clean as it relates to finances and as it relates to our giving. And what inevitably and invariably ends up happening is when we find ourselves in a large mortgage or lease that is beyond our reach, then, then we start doing things like cutting down services because we're afraid that if we have, you know, we're afraid that if we go too long following the leading of the spirit, that we're gonna lose people. And if we lose people, we lose money. We, we make, we start, people start making decisions like um, um, we, 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 can't, we can't offend anybody with, with, with speaking about controversial issues or we can't, we can't preach the word. I've seen it, guys. I've seen it happen. And we've just said, listen, we're not going to put ourselves in that position. And we're going to do things wisely. We're going to steward the resources God's given to us in a wise in a mature manner, and we're going to live within our means. And for the past seven years, living within our means has meant that the financial uh, rate that we have paid for CSCS is what we can handle. Okay, now, do you guys all hear my heart on that? I'm just saying, I don't want to strap us so that, you know, we, we start um, convoluting what we're really about here. 
Now, all that being said, and, and we were really thinking and deliberating on, on what to share, when to share, all of this is strategic and sequential. Uh, there has been, oh, let me also say, over the past seven years, we have done our due diligence in looking throughout the city uh, with, with one of the realtors that we work with and, and trying to see with what comes in on a regular basis if we could handle getting into static locations. Now, the challenge here is that the size of congregation that we have and, and, and the amount that comes in through the tithe and through the offering, um, we're kind of at this real unique break point because to lease like a storefront building uh, in all of the buildings that we have looked at th- that would handle about 200 to 300 people, guys, runs around eight to $10,000 a month just to lease uh, a commercial building, and that that would facilitate offices, uh, multi-purpose rooms, children's gathering areas, large corporate gathering areas, so on and so forth, and and that has just been way out of reach for us. Um, to get into a uh, a building to purchase requires a a pretty significant down payment, which we are we are in the process through the building fund. And uh, remind me to maybe talk more about the building fund at a uh, maybe next week or another time. But we do have a building fund where we have allotted money towards whether we lease, which would require some form of renovation, or whether we purchase. What is clear is that we're going to need a significant amount up front to help us with, with, those, with those upfront costs, okay? So recently, we've been made known of an opportunity to get into a building, um, and, and, and it is a building that, that we think it would be a stretch, but, but is way more within our means and within the means of possibility for us to get into. And uh, so we've now been in this for about two weeks solid now where we're doing all of our due diligence which includes but is not limited to conversations with our board uh, conversations with multiple realtors the landlord lord owner uh, having um, um, what do you call building guys who like Rowie general contractors coming in and taking giving us counsel so we are right now in that that process of doing our due diligence where we can present to you something substantial. What, what we don't want to do is just kind of, uh, you know, cry wolf with every opportunity that comes our way and then you get your hopes up and then, you know, kind of let you down. So we want you to know there, there is some traction happening behind the scenes, but we're not yet at a place to say, hey guys, this, this, this really is what we feel like the Lord is calling us to do. Next step. Now, um, shortening this tremendously here here's the clarity in the midst of the uncertainty what is uncertain is when and where and what is clear is uh, we know even as of now that in order for us to move into the next step whether lease or purchase um, would require some form of capital campaign and that capital campaign would would involve two things it would involve one-time gifts that would help towards moving expenses as well as renovation costs. And we're looking at probably needing about $50,000 to $100,000 for that. I mean, you think about going into a storefront building that needs to be outfitted uh, to be a gathering space, to be safe uh, and attractive for our children. That, that, that takes a lot of money uh, up front. That building campaign would also involve uh, regular giving. And so I, I was just 
crunching a little numbers with our current scenario and this opportunity that we're looking at, uh, we're looking at probably needing an extra $3,000 in income a month in order for us to move into what we're looking at. And, you know, that, that would look like 100 people committing to $30. That would look like 30 people committing to $100. That would look like 200 people committing to an extra $15 a month. That would, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can slice that up, but for a roughly 200-member congregation, what we would then do is say, hey, how many of you would be willing for at least a year to give a little extra? And that would be a 15, a 25, a 50, or $100 or more increment, and that would make that extra 3000 a month really, really possible. So, without holding anybody to anything and understanding contextually, we've got a lot of new people that have come and join us for the past few weeks and months. Um, and understanding that decisions like this require time and you gotta pray into that. But just so maybe I could even get a feel of the room, how many of you would say, I, I would be willing to, to, to pray and to commit to something extra on a monthly basis for at least a year, just to kind of let us know where we sit as we're, as we're filling out these, these, these opportunities. Let me just kind of, and not, listen, nobody feel pressured here because that, that actually hurts us. <laughs> okay, that's, that's actually helpful for us to know. Like if 10 people raise their hands, we would scrap the whole opportunity altogether and go, we know, we, we got a different work cut out for us. Okay, so that's, that's where we're at with the building. There, there is reason for excitement. And again, here's again what's clear in the midst of the uncertainty. Whether it's this building or whether it's not, uh, we as an eldership, we as a staff, we, we are really sensing that um, we, 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 we need to make some aggressive steps. We, we just feel like strategically and even spiritually and, and, and informatively that this is an important next step for us. And I'm weighing those decisions out with, with a handful of counsel around us. So for whoever asked that question, thank you. It, it, it kind of pushed this to the forefront and, uh, and it's exciting. The possibility of it really is exciting. And when we get some serious information to bring to you guys, you'll be the first to know. Amen. Awesome. Oh, thanks, Ruth. All right, let's let us come to the table. That was great, guys. Jonathan and uh, Dan, thank you so much for fielding those questions. And guys, thank you, thank you for uh, for asking those questions. And let let me just say this as it relates to to questions. Um, again, these are designed to help foster and facilitate conversations. Uh, they're designed to foster buy-in. They're designed to foster teachability. They're designed to, to, to help us say, hey, we want clarity and to create opportunities for clarity on things that relate to this house. So um, if you have questions, you can still submit those and we will create regular intervals whereby we foster uh, conversation through those questions. Can we stand to our feet this morning as we come and we remember why we gather. We remember that we are constituted as the people of God, his church. And that is made possible by the death, by the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. The reason why all of this is possible 
the reason why we have hope for the future, the reason why we can, we can trust that his spirit has given to us as a gift to empower us to relate to one another and to, to, to love and to minister to the world is because of this one thing. Jesus Christ sent from the Father, came out of obedience as a son, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and by the power of God was resurrected, defeating death, defeating the grave. And in that, we are born anew. We are believers in Jesus. We belong to a family. Our eternity is bright and it is set. We believe three things. God has come near in Christ, that Jesus has defeated every power of the enemy, and we live under that victory, and his spirit is at work in every single one of us. And guys, that is good news. So to that end, we remember and we come and we honor Jesus at this table. Father, as we come, this is not a somber and sullen thing. Lord, this is an opportunity to remember so that we do not forget. This is an opportunity to be shaped by gratitude and by love. And God, we ask that these things would happen today by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Friends, let's come and receive at the table.